Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week. I trust you are enjoying this series on Judges as much as I'm enjoying sharing it. It's just so much of a blessing to me. It gives me a way to say some things that I think is really, really blessing folk. And thank you, by the way, for your comments and all the stuff that you do when you share your letters with us. They truly are encouraging. And I said, you know, someplace I was at racially, you know, the people who don't like you seem like they have a hair trigger on their writing finger and they're not, they're quick to write you and try to straighten you out. But the people who love you never write you and tell you or, or get behind what we're doing. So we do appreciate that when they come in and thank you so much for that. Uh, if you've missed any of this series that we're doing on the book of Judges, uh, good news is you could go back and listen to them at your leisure. Uh, we share them on our YouTube channel, and uh, you can watch them on demand. You can pause them. You can go back and take notes. You can share them with your friends, and we encourage you to share them on your social media if there's something that you've really enjoyed. You, when you see your friends see it, helps us get the word out. You could share them in your home groups or with your friends and and a uh, cell group or uh, your Wednesday night prayer study groups. If you'd like to, you're welcome to do that. We put it out there for the use of the body of Christ, and our partners have made that available. The easiest way to do that would be to go to my website, and the address is on the screen at lynnhiles.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, there are icons that will take you directly to our YouTube channel. That link is a direct link to my channel. Now, I'm all over YouTube because I preach for a lot of different churches, and so you'll see all kinds of video out there of me at different locations. But my channel is linked to my website, and it is the same TV program that we are airing live. We usually upload it within a day or so to the YouTube channel for people who cannot get our program out of the country and all of that. It's amazing to me the power of a camera uh, that has literally reached around the globe. Next year we will be going to South Africa in May and back to Brazil again in July. Uh, July. And uh, so uh, uh, your help and support in what we're doing is in, so valuable to help us reach the nations of the earth. While you're on the website, if you'd like to sow a seed, there's an easy way to do that. Or it, it, you, know, you can give there via credit card or, or uh, uh, your debit card, and there's a, a direct link there where you can give through our PayPal portal. But I've just mentioned, especially since it's the holiday season, uh, that all of our books are on there, uh, from Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift, uh, the Great I Am is on there. Uh, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, second edition, is on there. Unforced Rhythms of Grace is on there, and they make great Christmas gifts or stocking stuffers if you'd like to go by uh, the website. And all of that helps us take the gospel around the world. That being said, let's jump back into the Word of God today, and we're going to Judges 6 again, and we're going to pick up with Gideon. Now, we've shared how that in the book of Judges, it starts out by saying, now after the death of Joshua. And we shared with you how that that's a picture of what happens after the death of Yeshua. The name Joshua or Yeshua is the Hebrew name Jesus. So the book of Judges is about enforcing the judgment 
that was already exacted when Jesus was lifted up and said, uh, uh, now is the judgment of this world come. Now is the prince of this world judged, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Now, this book of Judges is about executing that judgment written. Uh, we saw in the book of Psalm, chapter 149, where he said, this honor have all of his saints to execute the judgment written. And we have made clear over the last several weeks that that judgment is not standing back, calling down fire from heaven, or some kind of a detrimental judgment, but it is enforcing what was rendered a verdict in your favor, a judgment that was in your favor. See, judgment is not always a bad thing, especially when it is in your favor. And it is amazing to me that after the death of Jesus, in the New Testament, He hands the authority to 12 apostles and says to them, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But in the book of Judges, he hands it to 12 judges. And in both cases, the men and women, and judges especially, that he hands this judgment to are ordinary people who have human flaws just like you and I. What's so powerful to me about the book of Judges is it's people who are ordinary. It's the Othniels that have the younger brother syndrome. It is the uh, uh, Ehuds who are left-handed that was considered a handicap under the Othniels. It is the Deborahs and Jaels who are the women who especially sometimes in Christianity get a bad rap. It is the Jephthahs whose mother is a harlot. It is the Gideons who's a coward. It is the Samson who has woman trouble. It is, uh, you know, uh, Shamgar who is a farmer and uh, all he has is an ox goad. In other words, he takes ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And as we start into this again with Gideon, Gideon was being molested by the enemies that were coming to steal the produce of the land. In other words, to rob us of the fruit of what the death of Yeshua has produced for us. I'm trying to concise it and make it without having to review so much. But if these judges are enforcing a judgment that was written, and we showed you that it begins by saying, now after the death of Joshua or after the death of Jesus, uh, and then we saw in the first couple of chapters there were some things that the people of the land were willing to live with, and the things that they were willing to live with are the enemies that they were willing to not dispossess and drive out of the land was what exactly came back to haunt them and came back to be thorns in their sides. And God's raising up these deliverers when the people cry out and say, you know, raise up a deliverer, God would raise up ordinary people who would begin to come and bring deliverance to the people of God because He would choose somebody that didn't seem to be a glow-in-the-dark preacher or some famous uh, well-known prophet. These are ordinary people, uh, and they are between the books of Joshua and the books that are going to deal with the kingdom and Samuel and the kingdom and the kingdom coming on the scene. So the kingdom is the result of them executing the judgment that is written. And again, the judgment is a judgment that's in your favor. And so we've come clear down to Gideon, and we're going to go here again with uh, uh, verse 11, chapter 6 of the book of Judges. So now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat 
in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. I want you to note that. God thinks more highly of us sometimes than we think of ourselves. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and shall defeat the Midianites as one man. That's key. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring you my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat. Now I probably won't get that far in this segment this morning. But I want you to see that what God does is He takes ordinary people and begins to speak to them something that is true about them that they don't know. He calls him a mighty man of valor. You know, I'm thinking, you know, in terms, when I think about that, I think about uh, how Paul wrote to Philemon, and he said that the communication of your faith is by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in them. And so he doesn't do that. The, the communication of our faith is not by acknowledging every bad thing. It's by acknowledging the good thing. Uh, years ago, I taught a message from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, where he says, let no corrupt communication go out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of edification, that it might minister grace to the hearer, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you've been sealed to the day of redemption. And when the Lord gave that to me many, many years ago, and said to me, let no corrupt communication go out of your mouth, I thought He was talking to me about maybe something that was in my language that was not appropriate. And I really began to realize that He was not talking about what maybe we would call cursing, but He was talking about when you would get in the pulpit and you would browbeat God's people, and it was not a word that was unto edification. In other words, it would deteriorate their faith and their confidence until they didn't believe God could use them. I can remember struggling with this even in ministry, thinking, my Lord, I just don't know if I'm even worthy for God to use me. And we have taught such a false humility to people rather than a confidence and a faith in who they are in Christ. Not, not because of their human strength, but because of who He has made them. So when I started to realize that He's saying that the communication of your faith is by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in them, and that what I needed to do was speak that which was to the use of edification or to build them up, and if I was not speaking that way, it was corrupt communication, and it was grieving the Holy Spirit of God, because where God's miracles are at, He's asking God, where are all your miracles? if the Lord is with us. They are locked up in ordinary people who don't think they're worthy or worth 
being used of God, and God shows up on Gideon's door path, and, and Gideon's view is, I'm the least of my father's clan, and I'm the least of my father's house, and like, we're nobody. You know, this so ministers to me, because I grew up under a lot of legalism, and I, I say that with respect to the people that I sat under, because they did the best they could with what they knew. It's just that's what they were taught. But we were browbeat so much, and, you know, dogs were turned to its vomit, and sows to its wallow, and sinners that were worthless, and God's angry with you. And, uh, you know, I mean, you just felt like when, by the time you left church, you just felt like, man, you was a beaten down dog. I mean, you went in there thinking you're going to get encouraged and get some good news, and instead all you did was get a whooping. And so, you know, I can remember thinking, even struggling with self-esteem up through my teenage years, and even in, in, when I got in ministry thinking, I'm, not, I'm just a second-class citizen. I, I can remember going to town and going to like a football game or something and standing there watching a football game thinking, uh, you know, we're peculiar people, and we just almost felt weird and unaccepted. I think so many people struggle with self-esteem issues, and some of that has come as a result of well-meaning preachers preaching from the wrong covenant, and that's really what's robbing you of the fruit-bearing and the miraculous taking place in your life. And then on top of that, I had come from, you know, a large family of seven children, mom and dad, and we were, and I find, find out later, everybody was poor back in those days, but we were not very wealthy at all and wore hand-me-downs and, you know, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and sometimes, you know, even bad haircuts. And we just looked like a homely, motley crew because even religion made us look like that. We thought we were holy the worse we looked. And I think about how we would literally sit on our uh, porch when we were kids. And my dad worked sometimes six, seven days a week to feed us all. And uh, my mother didn't drive, and we would set our back porch and see cars go by and on the road down below our house. we say, wouldn't it be nice if somebody would just come and visit this tribe? And we had a van, and man, when we would go places, people say, here comes that tribe, that tribe in the bus. And so you felt like we're just a homely, motley crew, so to speak. And wouldn't it be nice if somebody would just come visit us? But as I look back now at the history of that, now people come to that hill from all over the world, literally, uh, and to visit th this family. And I think about my wife's background, very similar to that, and think to myself how God could take people that were ordinary and use us. And, you know, when people see us today, for whatever success you might think we have, we're just ordinary people that just believed God could do big things. I remember even when I went on television, and, uh, and, and the Lord said to me, uh, I said, Lord, how come sometimes I flip through channels, and sometimes there's some good stuff, sometimes there's bad, and I thought, Lord, how come there's nothing fit to watch on television? And the Lord said to me, it's because guys like you won't go on. And I said, Lord, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. And see, I'm looking at my bank account, and the Lord said to me, who told you you can't afford it? I said, well, my, my bank account did. But we made the step of faith, and that's been 14 years ago. And I'm thankful also, you know, I, probably, I don't know whether he would mind me mentioning his name or not, but I'm thankful that Joseph Prince, who sowed heavily into our ministry as he was getting some of my books and stuff at that time, and helped us to get on television and paid half my TV bill the, year, the first year I was on, that God can use extraordinary means to raise somebody up if you're willing to be a vessel that he can use. 
And so, you know, as I think about those things and how my background that we came from, and we used to sit on our porch and think, wouldn't it be nice if we could just go someplace like Florida? It was only a dream to ever go to someplace like Florida or to get on an airplane. And I got off a plane there uh, Sunday evening and I was talking to my wife. I said, how many, how many jets do you think I've been on in my life? I mean, we have flown all over the world, and we've li- literally been in, uh, I don't know how many countries, every state in the Union, and, and uh, preached so many places till after a while it runs together. But I'm, I'm thinking to myself that it seemed like it was beyond our reach back then. So I'm just challenging you today to lift your faith, because if God has said you're going to do something, He's going to make the provision for the vision but you've got to make some steps as well. You've got to simply believe God. And say, somebody said, how did you get here? And I know they think you wave a magic wand and get here, but this is our, I think, our 44th year in full-time traveling ministry, our 14th year being on national television. But we did it one step at a time. I remember when uh, my wife and I were talking the other night, and I said, I remember when it was a huge, huge step of faith when we bought our first Telex One Plus One to send out tapes to people. And my wife would hand type the labels and hand type the addresses for those tapes that we sent out over. And God only knows now how many tapes and and then went beyond tapes to CDs and now not just CDs but streaming and television and national television where I think our audience is a potential of 100 million to 120 million U.S. homes. But we didn't start Big, we started with a big step of faith. And that, that Telex one plus one and that one box of tapes, I think, cost me like $399. And for us, that was a huge, huge step of faith. And we took that step of faith in December during the Christmas season when evangelist, and that's I still am a traveling ministry. I've not pastored. But when we, in December, it is always the slowest month financially for evangelists and for their families, and for mobile ministries, and because nobody's having meetings then. And, and uh, so, you know, we were thankful that, but we took that step of faith, not really realizing that, that, that you know, where we would be at today. And, and just just the closed captioning alone cost us, used to, used to cost us that much. We found some ways, uh, you know, where it's not a, that expensive anymore. But used to just, one, just one, one, one programming would cost us just that much, just in the closed captioning cost that we do on television. But we've been on 14 years of national TV, and we have never been behind on a bill. And if you watch my program, you know that I only spend about 30 minutes, or 30 seconds, I'm sorry, trying to raise money. We don't constantly try to barrage you with products. But your, your, your support has been faithful, and, and God leads His people to do it. We're appreciative of that. But what I'm simply saying is all you've got to do to decide, I'm, I am, where, where's His miracles? Where are all His miracles? Well, they're locked up in people just like you who are sitting there waiting on somebody else to do it. If God is with us, was que- His question, where are all His miracles which the Lord told us of? You know, now I can't help but think, as I look back at this, and uh, he said, Where, where's all the miracles that our fathers told us of? But I can't help but think about, you know, back in the book of, uh, I believe it is Kings. I've got it in my notes, and I, let me see if I can pull it up. But in the book of Kings, I believe it is, that uh, uh, there were four leprous men who sat in at Second Kings 6, in uh, verse number 25. There, were, uh, the, there was, a, there was a, a famine in the land. Again, 
because of Israel's disobedience to do what God told them to do to drive out the enemies. And there was four leprous men set in the entering in at the gate, and the diet at that time, according to the book of Kings, was ass's head and dove's dung. That was the diet, and it was sold for an immense amount of money. And so there was four lepers that sat there, but the prophet of God came and he said, tomorrow about this time, a shekel of fine flour is going to be sold for this amount. And, uh, uh, one, and, and then, uh, you know, in other words, it would be a low cost that all of a sudden this economy that was horribly bad and that they were paying an immense amount of money, money for a one-fourth part cab of dove's dung and ass's head. We're paying an immense amount of money for this, and the famine was that drastic that they were even eating their children. Now that is a bad famine. But the prophet came and said, God's going to do something tomorrow. And the king said, if God would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And the prophet said to him, you will see it with your eyes, but you'll not partake of it. He said, if God would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? Now let me tell you first of all that I think the dove's dung speaks of what's left over after the dove done flew the coop. And right now, even in the American church, people are paying an immense amount of money to try to rehash a past move of God when the dove has already moved on. And we don't want to move with the Holy Spirit when He moves on, so we keep on rehashing the dove's dung, and we keep on trying to make dove's dung soup, and people are paying an immense amount of money. Or uh, ass's head, which speaks of what, you know, when I think about an ass's head, I think of what proceeds out of man's human, stubborn, carnal nature. And so people, I mean, human genius, a lot of stuff that I, 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 maybe I'm old-fashioned, maybe I'm a dinosaur, I don't know, but I look at some of the stuff that, that we do in church to try to get people to come, and I think this is nothing more than ass's head and dove's dung. In other words, we are feeding on stuff that's just, you know, either self-help programs or politics or something, everything but the Word of God, everything but the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we wonder why there's no miracles. But there was four lepers that sat at the entering end of that gate that made this statement, why sit we here until we die? Why do we, in other words, when you get desperate enough, you're going to get up out of all of that stuff and say, we're going out. And we're going to, it, it, worst case scenario is what these four lepers said. Worst case scenario, we're going to fall into the hands of the enemy and they kill us suddenly. But if we stay here, we're going to die anyway because we are going to starve to death. And so why sit we here till we die? Let's try something. Let's get up and go outside the camp. And what they did was they went outside the camp and what they discovered was God had made the enemy hear a noise and they had fled their tents and these four lepers spoiled their camp and then brought the news and the tidings back to the king. And all of a sudden, the prophecy that the prophet of God had given them tomorrow about this time, you're going to have plenty of supply and plenty of food was because somebody got up 
and left the security of that old-fashioned thinking of ass's head and dove's dung, and they went out and discovered what the Scripture says is true, Jesus already defeated the enemy, and that's another picture of the finished work of Jesus Christ and enforcing that judgment. And they went out and found out all we have to do is simply spoil the camp of the enemy because they became windows of heaven and they became the vehicle by which God could use to produce the miracles. Where are the miracles at? They're locked up in people who are sitting in places thinking they're the least of their father's house or they're not worthy. And then I, I, I began to look even at uh, something else when I thought about windows of heaven because the king said, if God would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? Well, God just opened four windows and they were called four lepers. And these four lepers became a window in heaven that God could use to release the blessing to the people of Israel. And when you begin to see that, I started looking even at Malachi, and I'm, I'm getting close to not having a lot of time, so I want to say this, but in Malachi, he's talking there concerning the fourth chapter about tithe, and he said, if you will bring the tithe into the storehouse, he said, try me now and see if I won't open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that's nursed not room enough to receive. Now let me say before I say this that I don't believe you're under a curse if you don't tithe. I don't believe we can preach that by any stretch of the imagination. I believe that when you realize and you look at it in, in the fourth chapter of Malachi that the tithe was the first fruits. Now when I think about the tithe being the first fruits, I think about Jesus. He was the first fruit. God already paid the tithe. And Jesus was that tithe. Jesus was the offering to the first fruit. He fulfilled every Old Testament offering. But watch this. If you will take Jesus, who is the tithe, the first fruits, and bring Jesus, the tithe, into the storehouse, because in the new covenant, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if we take Jesus, who is the tithe, and we bring Him into the storehouse, which is us, what's the Scripture say next? Then I will open you. He didn't say, I'll open for you. He said, I will open you as a window of heaven, that there is not room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, or if I can say it like this, because of you. And so when we begin to be the windows of heaven, where are all His miracles? They're locked up in people who are full of Jesus, who don't know how to become a window in heaven to open themselves up and pour Him out as a blessing. And if you've got a tithe living inside of you, you'll never have a problem giving one or giving an offering because God so loved that He gave. So it includes finances, but it's much bigger than finance. It is us allowing the Jesus that lives inside of us to be poured out through us as vessels that God is calling that might seem like we're leprous people or the least of our Father's house, but we've started to believe what God said about us is true. You're going to go in this your might, and you are going to save Israel. Hallelujah, because you believe what God said. Whose report are you going to believe? I'm going to be believe the report of the Lord, and that you're stronger and mighty and more powerful than you can imagine you are. Well, we're about to run out of time again on this segment of the program. Uh, if you would like to support this ministry and sow a seed into it, uh, like I said, we've spent very little time, but this is the last 30 seconds of the program. If you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry, it's easy to do that. Go to my website at linhouse.com, and there is a place where you can give through our PayPal portal, and you can give via credit card or debit card. Uh, you can give through PayPal. You can write a check and, or money order and send it to the address that will come on the screen, or you pick up the telephone 
telephone and call the number on the screen and someone from my team will take your call. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we will return your call if you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry to help us take the gospel around the world. God bless you. Join us again next week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.